if you'd stand, turn to Psalm chapter 56, Psalm chapter 56. begin our reading in verse number one, Psalm chapter 56, beginning in verse number one, if you would. The psalmist being David, and of course the background here is David had uh, gone to Gath. This would be the, the home place of Goliath. And uh, after he had, of course, slain him and went to the Philistines, the land of Philistia there, and so David cries out to God and he says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest their words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. And then he asks this question, shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger, speaking toward God, in thine anger, cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This shall I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? For what purpose, we might ask, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. I want to preach a message tonight entitled simply, God is for you. God is for you. Now, we're not uh, using some kind of weird psychology here. <laughs> We're basing it right off of what David said out of this passage when David said, This I know, for God is for me. And so let me ask you this, or let me make this statement, that a failure to remember will become a failure to trust. A failure to remember will become a failure to trust. Question. Are you living in fear tonight? So, Father, tonight as we bow before thee, we're thankful, God, for the songs that we've sung. We're thankful, O oh God, has already been mentioned for the grace of God and the mercy of God, for the protection that you grant to each of us every single day. We're thankful for the, the man that was saved this morning, that walked the aisle and trusted in you as his personal Savior. God, it's evident that you are alive. It's evident, God, that you're at work. It's evident, God, that you care and love your people. You love this world. And Father, it behooves us to not only to follow you, but God, to trust you with all of our heart. And so, God, as we have assembled tonight, we desperately need to hear from you tonight. We pray, O oh Father, that you would use your word and use this situation in the life of David, a, an Old Testament saint, a king that was that was promised by God to ascend to the throne and yet had many battles and had many struggles along the way. But God, we can learn much from him, from him and from the word that was penned, O oh God, by this precious shepherd of God. So Lord, would you help us? Help us, O oh God, to make application to our life tonight. And may we be different people as a result of being here tonight. 
And may we love you and may we come to know you in a better way. And may we, may we uh, come to know ourselves in a better way and understand, oh God, how needy and how dependent and how unworthy, oh God, that we are. Thank you, God, for your precious word. And we'll give you thanks in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, I took my father, and my father is in heaven, been in heaven since 2001, took my father and my wife, and we pulled up to a grocery store, and I parked the vehicle, left the keys in the ignition, and walked into the store, came back out, and I knew something had happened. I knew something had taken place, and so I asked what had happened, and so my wife, I love my wife, by the way, my wife uh, had uh, supposed that the vehicle was beginning to roll. You know what it's like when you're not uh, focused on the right thing and it looks as if the car is moving when it's actually not moving. You know what that's like. And so here she was in the back seat of our vehicle and, and so she launches herself. This is amazing, I wish I could have been there, but she launches herself from the back seat into the front seat, down to the floorboard to put her hand on the brake to stop the vehicle. And my dad, as gracious and loving and kind as he was, looked to my wife and said, Shelly, the car's not moving. <laughs> and I say that to say this tonight. Of course, it's the law of physics, and we, we would uh, obviously could understand that it's about the, the frame of reference, the, the perspective that we would have in life about things. It's the same principle as we would say, well, the sun's going down. Well, the sun's not going down. The sun is stationary. The earth is moving. And so when we fix our eyes upon different things, it appears to be what it is not. It's all about perspective. It's all about uh, our frame of reference, our point of reference upon an object. Our eyes see motion based upon comparing it to another. And so tonight, obviously, we want to deal with this subject matter that David is confronted with. In fact, we, we, could, say, we could make this statement very carefully that life is full of situations that are beyond our limited power to control, to understand, or even to alter. It's complexities, speaking of life, it's complexities exceed our ability to combat them successfully. I doubt that I could have anybody stand and say, Brother Perkle, I, I have met every complexity of life. I've met every difficulty of life. I've solved it. I've conquered it. And uh, if you want to know the answers, come talk to me. I don't think there would be anybody in this room that would say that if they were honest with themselves. I mean, come on, you and I, we can't stop the spread of disease. We, we, can't, uh, we can't do anything about what's taking place in our world. We can't undo the wicked plots of men. We can't, we can't change the, the motion of nations and things that are taking place in our world. We can't change the weather. I love the weather right now, by the way. It's great. I'm thankful for the weather right now, but we can't change the weather. You and I, we uh, can't hold back allergies. I walked out of the office the other day, out to the car, had to get something, and pollen was all over the car, and pollen was all over the ground, and I thought, stop, stop this. I, I can't stop it. There's nothing that we can do to, to, to uh, hold back allergies. We can't change uh, the weather. We can't change the passing of time. I was just talking to an individual yesterday, and I thought, I have three grandchildren, three and I told the person, I said, do I look like a grandfather? Do I look like I should have three grandchildren? No, the passing of time. We can't do anything about it. Time moves so very quickly. You and I cannot undo the, undo the law of sowing and reaping. We cannot make God love us any more, and we cannot make God love us any less. We cannot alter the plans and the purposes of God. You and I cannot undo decisions that we have made. We can't make everybody like us. You can't change your age. You can't change your height. You can't change your stature. You can't do life over. You can't change your gender. And John Wayne helps us. You can't fix stupid. 
can't. And you cannot make burnt orange look good. Sorry, you can't. Just can't do it. It's possible. And some of man's greatest frustrations come when he tries to control the uncontrollable. Or when we try to control what is not in our circle of responsibility. And so when life is out of control, what do we do? We fear. And when we fear, we become afraid. And when we become afraid, we despair, thinking this, that everything and everyone is against us in life. Such was the case with David. David, of course, here in our passage, by numerous attempts, Saul had come after him. I mean, some, some say upwards of 20 times that, that Saul had tried to kill David. David was considered a threat to Saul and he wanted him removed. He didn't want him anywhere near him. Saul had given him his daughter, Michael, to be a snare unto David. Saul was not operating with David's interest in mind. I mean, David, uh, Saul, had, Saul had no intent to bless David. Saul had no intent to do good to him. In fact, uh, Saul was not on his side. In fact, he was against David on every side. David was anointed to be the next king, yet David was living as no prince. David had no hope of gain in sight. His life had been threatened multiple times. His hopes had been banished. In fact, the setting of this very psalm is a serious crisis that I think most of us would, would probably ordinarily strike fear into our body. And once again, in fear for David's life, he fled to Gath. And, and we question that. We, we wonder or we would ask, David, why would you go to Gath? And I, I have to give some consideration to that. And I have to give David a little bit of a buy because... Because here he was in his own homeland and Saul was threatening him and Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was coming after him. And you remember in our preaching, as our pastor has preached on Sunday nights, right out of the book of 1 Samuel, that it was very evident David was not going to lay his hand on God's anointed. He wasn't going to do it. He was going to do right by that. And so he did not want to put himself in a position to do so. And so maybe David was thinking this, I'll just go down to Gath. And if, and if somebody comes against me, I have no problem killing a Philistine. I'm not going to kill God's man. But I have no problem killing a Philistine. In fact, before he went down there, First uh, Samuel chapter 21, he went to Ahimelech. And, and of course, Ahimelech was fearful and afraid. Why, David, did you come to me? Why did you come by yourself? And, and he's thinking all of these ramifications. And, and of course, David gets from him the sword of Goliath. And so here goes David down to Gath, toting the sword of Goliath. And so I, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, we hit David really hard for going down there. But perhaps he was thinking... I, I can't do anything about the situation that I am, but, but I'm going to take matters into my own hand and I'm going to go down to Gath. And if anybody comes against me, I, I'll, I'll take care of them. I'm going to deal with them because they're not God's anointed. So we don't know all, the, all of the things that David was dealing with, but we do know this. David was afraid. David was fearful. As much as David had been through and as much a battle as he had faced with Saul and, and all of the things that he had struggled with, David was gripped by fear and he was threatened. And obviously enemies surrounded him and death seemed imminent upon his life and he was despair. No doubt David was tempted to think, am I in this all alone? Has all hope been lost? Has God forgotten me? Has God forsaken me? Does God no longer care about what I'm going through? And what David, listen, what David needed more than anything was to know that God cared for him. In this situation, he needed to know this. God cared for David and that God was in control. Those are two things that David needed to know and that David needed to understand. That God cared for him and that God was in control. I'm telling you here tonight that David could have confidence in God in knowing that, that God cared and that God was in control. Can I say this, that, that all of God's people, all of God's believers, every person that, that has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be challenged this way to know God cares and God is in control. We're going to be challenged that way. Listen, you're going to walk out these doors tonight 
And maybe before you get home, but no doubt sometime in this week, you're going to be challenged to believe this or to understand this. Does God care and is God in control? We look at the stock market. Is God in control? We look at the weather. Is God in control? We look at the things of life and we wonder, is God in control? But listen to me. We know that God cares and we know that God is in control. Until life happens. Until we're faced with something that hits us directly. We might have just walked out the doors and told a person, hey, God cares for you and God's in control and God loves you. And we, we can say that and we can, listen, we can mean it with all of our heart. But when you and I are confronted with the very, the very thing that attacks our soul, no, 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 you may not have a saw against you and you may not have a sword being, being uh, pressed upon your side and you may not have a javelin that's sewed against you. But listen to me, you and I are going to be challenged to understand this. God does care about me and God is in control no matter what may be happening in life. That's exactly where David found himself. It's exactly what he was struggling with. And so how can you and I know that God is for you? I, I said that that was the title, that God is for us. Well, how can I know that God is for me? Somebody may be asking. Brother David, how can I know that God is for me in a world of uncertainty? Brother David, if, you, if I could just take some time right now and show you everything that I'm dealing with. If you can look at my checkbook and you can look at my health report. And, and Brother David, you can look at what's going on in my family right now. And you can look at what's going on in the workplace. My job is in jeopardy right now. My health is in jeopardy. My family's in disarray. And all of these things are happening. How in the world could I possibly know that God is for me tonight? It's a good question. Well, let's learn from David tonight. Because David gave us some answers here. In verses 1 through 7, and we're not going to take time to go back all through this, but I'm going to hit, and I'm going to hit some highlights here. But number one, God is for David when men were against him. David understood this. David began to, to recognize this, that there were those in verse number one that wanted to swallow him up. They literally, David is using the language here, they want to inhale him. They want to bring him in and destroy him. They were persistent. They were fighting him daily in verse number two. They were oppressing him. In fact, uh, his enemies were, were exalting themselves above them. No doubt when David went down to Gath, no doubt they were, they were mocking him and they were making fun of him and they were, they were challenging his God. No doubt about that. And so man sought to overwhelm David. They sought to destroy David. And you say, yeah, but those are just mere mortals. They are mere mortals until they come at you. And then they become powerful adversaries in your life. They were deceitful and they were evil. Look down at verse number five and verse number six. He says, every day they rest my words. In other words, they take my words and they twist them and they spin them and they, they use them against me. They use my own words against me. They rest my words. He says, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul, David says. When he uses the word that they do this against his soul, what he's saying there is this. It's more than just physical here. It's an attack upon my spiritual well-being. That eternal part of me. In other words, that unshakable part, that, that part that's eternal. David says, they, they come at my soul. They're, they're not just trying to attack me physically. They're not just after my mind. They're not just after my thinking. But they are coming against me, against the very thing that's supposed to be solid and secure in my life. And David says, Oh, yeah, they, they, they are deceitful and they are, they are evil. David asked the question to God and he says, shall they escape by iniquity? In other words, they've done wrong against me, God. Are, are they going to get away with their wickedness by more wickedness? In other words, they've attacked me and they've come against me, but, but are they going to do more wickedness to get out of it? God, is, are, are they going to go unpunished? Are they going to, are they going to go unjudged? Or are, are, are they going to go uncondemned under your hand? They lied and deceived and they hurt David and they attacked him. What hope do I possibly have? I can't win. I'm fighting a losing battle, David might have said. Might I remind us tonight that God does not seek to destroy us? Might I remind us tonight that, that though men are deceitful and though men are evil, listen to me, God is never deceitful. 
God will never trick you. God will never hold something out in front of you and then pull it out away from you and say, ha ha. No, no, God will never do that to you. God will never lie to you. God will never deceive you. God will never trick you. God will never take your words and spend them. God will never use those things against you. No, God is for me even when men are against you. Not only that, but God is for David when he is afraid, when he's fearful. Look down in verse number three. David says, what time I am afraid. In fact, twice he uses that, that word there, afraid, in verse number three and in verse number 11. And then in verse number four, he uses the word fear. He's fearful. He's afraid. Is it any wonder that David was afraid? Saul was serious about slaying David. The javelins prove that. The Philistines were ruthless renegades, not to mention the spiritual battle that he was dealing with on top of that. Who of us wouldn't be fearful? Come on, who of us wouldn't be fearful in a situation like that? Who of us wouldn't be trembling? Who of us wouldn't be, be recognizing the imminent danger that we might have been? But let us not forget, this was the same man that slew Goliath when no one else would stand up against him. This is the man that cut, cut Goliath's head off and held it up before the nation of the Philistines and proved his mighty God and showed and expressed the mighty hand of God and showed to the nation of Israel, there is a cause. Yes, this is the same man. This was the man that killed a bear with his own hands. This was a man that killed a, a lion with his, own, with his own hands. This was a man who, who stood when others cowered down. No, he was no sissy. He was no yellow belly. But yet he was fearful and afraid. Life has a way of presenting fearful moments, doesn't it? But do you realize God never terrorizes us? God never brings into our life things that would cause us to shake spiritually. God doesn't hunt us down. No, God is for David, even when men are against him. God is for David when life is difficult. Look down at verse number eight. It's David begins to recount and he's talking to God. He's, he's expressing his heart to God. And I'm so thankful for the transparency of David here. And he says, thou tell us my wonderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? And then he says, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. In other words, uh, men were, were seemingly getting away with their wickedness against David without recourse. Saul seemed to go on being Saul. Do you follow what I'm saying there? Saul just kept being Saul and it was like nothing was happening. Saul kept uh, doing things uh, against David and Saul kept threatening him and Saul kept coming against him and Saul, listen, lost it. And he just kept being Saul and it seemed to be that there was no recourse. Those deeds done against David were sinful towards God and worthy of righteous judgment. And yet David was the man that was on the run. Are you following me? Saul was, was being Saul and those that came against him, they just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And here was David, David, the righteous one, David, who was supposed to be the next king of Israel, David, who, who was the promised one. David was the one on the run. David was the one that was in fear. David was the one that was in wanderings. He was in dens. And we, we've heard this already, but he was in dens and he was in deserts and, and he was in fields and, and he found himself in Gath. David, listen, he was, he was a prince with no peace. David was a man without a country. David was a king without a crown. David was a Christian without contentment. And from the very beginning, he was in solitude. His brothers had no confidence in him. No, his brothers didn't look around and say, oh, uh, dad, uh, Dave, David should be the king. No, his brothers had forgotten about him. They weren't even, they weren't, they didn't even want him around. He lived in solitude. His dad did not pick him to be the anointed. He lived as a shepherd boy on the hills alone with the sheep. He fought Goliath alone as a soldier. It's very evident that David wandered in life. And then David said this, 
Not only thou tellest my wanderings, but put thou my tears into thy bottle. I know it's a weird thought. But have you ever cried so much that you wondered if you could fill up a cup? Have the difficulties of life been so challenging that you just wondered? I've cried and I've cried and I've cried till I can't cry anymore. And David said, God, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Life has a way of bringing us to tears, doesn't it? Tears of regret. Tears from broken promises. Tears from the hurt by evildoers. Words spoken to us that hurt and, and uh, bring about uh, grief in our soul. Tears of hopelessness. Tears over losses. Tears over unexpected happenings in life. Tears of unrealized expectations. In other words, things that we hoped would come to pass and never came to pass. Tears from anger. Tears of multiplied pressures in life. Tears from overwhelming situations that are beyond our control. Tears from confusion. But God, I thought. But God, I, I, I imagined that this would be the case. Tears from disillusionment. Can I say tonight, as, as, as David acknowledged this, God cares. When David said, thou tellest my wanderings, what he was saying, what he was acknowledging, and, and, and again, he was not informing God. It wasn't like he was making God to know this. When David said to him, thou tellest my wanderings, what, what David was acknowledging or speaking forth and what David needed to know and what David even needed to hear himself say was this, God, you know. You know, I've been wandering in dens and I've been wandering in caves and, 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 and Saul may not know where I'm at. Listen to me, Saul may not know where I'm at and God's people may not know where I'm at, but God, you know my wanderings. You know where I've been. You know the struggles that I've had. You know and you're acquainted with me, David says. And you see, David says, Put, put thou my tears into thy bottle. You know what he was telling God? You know what he was acknowledging before God? God, you see every tear I've ever shed. wonder how many times David laid awake at night on a hillside and wept. And the sheep looked at him. And the stars... David says, God, not only do you know where I've been, but you've saw every tear that I've ever shed. Every hurt that I've experienced, every pain that's been imagined, God, you see. And then he says this, are they not in thy book? What's David saying there? Now, I don't know that God records. I don't know that God has a book of tears. I don't, the Bible doesn't say that. But what David is simply saying here is this, God, not only do you know, and not only do you see, but you remember. You remember all things. You see, God was for David. God takes note when life is difficult, when life is strenuous, when life is arduous, when life is wearisome, he's aware and he cares. And then notice this also, that God is for David even when David is against himself. Did you catch that? God was for David when man was against David. God was for David when, when men were evil and practiced evil works. God was, God was for David when, when life was difficult. But listen to me, God is for David even when David is against himself. Sometimes life deals us badly. Sometimes we, we say it this way, life happens. 
Things, things we go through in life, they happen. We can't stop and we can't control it. Listen, the washer's going to break down. The dryer's going to give up and the roof's going to need to be replaced. And you got to put new tires on and, and thing after thing after thing may happen. And sometimes we wonder, but listen to me, that's, that's just life happening sometimes. So life sometimes deals us badly, but sometimes our misfortune is our own doing. In other words, the problems and difficulties of life can be the product of our poor decisions. We ourselves put ourselves in painful situations. And so we find David here in Gath, not, not by God's doing. Are, are you following that? David went to Gath, not because God told him to go to Gath. God didn't lead him to go to Gath. David was there by his own doing, by his own choosing. He, he wasn't following the leadership of God. He, he was not being obedient to the plan of God and the purpose there. God never intended his servant to be there. But I'll, I'll say this, although God never intended for his servant to be in Gath, God did not forsake him in Gath. Do you, do you get that? Even, even though God had never intended for him to go there, even though God never purposed for him to go to Gath, even though God never uh, designed that to be the case, never do we find there God said, go to, go to Philistia. As the same we would say about, about old, other Old Testaments. Don't go down to Egypt. And here we find God's servants going down to Egypt. And here we find them lying. And here we find them deceiving. And here we find them doing things against the will of God. Does God just forsake them? Does God just abandon them? Does God say... I'm done with you, Abraham. I'm done with you, Moses. I'm done with you and fill in the blank there. No, God, listen to me. Even though David had gone to a place where he should not have been, and even though he was fighting against even the plan and the purposes of God, God did not forsake him there. I'm reminded in the book of, and you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 25, I, I, I love this passage. Paul is instructing Timothy and, and Paul said this, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. In other words, those that fight against their own well-being, those that, that uh, do against themselves wrong that would not, listen, that would not become the recipients of blessings, but because of their choices and the things that they do, they bring about the judgment of God. They bring about the hand of God. They bring about uh, the, the condemnation of God. And so Paul says in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance. You say, wait a minute, stop here, Paul. Are you talking about the people that go against God, that God wants us to be meek, that God wants us to, to be under the control of another and, and God wants uh, us to pray that there would be repentance and, and the acknowledging of truth. And what does he say in verse number 26? And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil and, and taken captive by him in his own will. Listen to me. There are people that literally fight against themselves. You say, what do you mean by that? A person that, in, that engages in, in uh, drinking alcohol, you know what they're doing? They're opposing themselves. That's against God. That's against God's word. That's against God's plan. That's against God's purpose for our body. They're opposing themselves. A person that injects drugs into their body, you know what they're doing? They're opposing themselves. A person that goes out and, and uh, commits an act of adultery or fornication, you know what they're doing? In fact, Paul even said it this way. When you do that, it's sin against your own body. You're opposing yourself. When a person says, yeah, I know what the Bible says and I know what the preacher says and yeah, I know this is what my parents want and yeah, I know this is what I should be doing and yeah, I've heard that before. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. You know what they're doing? They're opposing themselves. I'll never forget this. Brother Greg Smith and I were, it was a Saturday morning. We we're out here getting ready to go to bus visitation. And there was a lady that walked, a woman that walked up into the parking lot and, and uh, she wanted, Greg was in the van and she wanted him to, uh, to provide some things for her. And we, we tried to kindly tell her in meekness, no, we can't do this for you. And, and no, we cannot provide this. And uh, she bowed up against Brother Greg. I mean, literally, she, she went like this to Brother Greg, like she was going to hit him. I was ready. I was ready to bear hug her, not, not in a bad way, but to bring her down. Like if, if she's going to hurt, if she's going to hurt my friend, I'm going to take care of this lady. And so when she realized I'm not getting what I want here, she turned and, and brother Greg is my witness, but she turned and began punching herself in the face. 
I mean, literally, she got her fist like this and as far down as she could get and she just bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, stop. And we called the police and the police course came and all the way down, we were watching her all the way down 55th Street. She went down the road screaming, hollering and and punching herself in the face. And it was a physical illustration to me of what people do. She literally was trying to knock herself out and inflict pain upon herself. And it reminded me of this passage when, when Paul said that there are those that oppose themselves. And Paul said, in meekness, in meekness, in humility, come before and try to help. Listen, that's, that's the job of a staff person. That's the, oh, come on, let's just, be, let's just say it this way. That's the job of every believer, that we're to help in meekness and that the servant of God must not strive, but we're to help those that oppose themselves. Listen to me, God himself, even when his own servant, his own, the man after his own heart was opposing himself and doing things against the plan and the purposes of God, God was still for him. That amazes me. No wonder we should stand in awe of God. Here's a man that knew better and yet opposed God's plan. Here's a man that that had seen the hand of God. Listen to me. Here's a man that no doubt remembered all the things that God had done for him and he was opposing the plan and the purposes of God and he was even fighting against himself. I mean, who knows what David was thinking? Who knows what David was going through and imagining in his life? Maybe he was thinking, well, you know, uh, maybe God's not going to use me and maybe God's done with me and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Saul will get what he wants. His own thoughts, listen to me, his own thoughts were opposing himself. His own imaginations, no doubt, were opposing him. His own, his own philosophy, his own theology. I mean, we don't know all the, the reasons by which David went there, but we understand this, that his decisions and his thoughts and his beliefs and obviously his own flesh was opposing himself. And yet David was not forsaken by the one who is. And David cried for God's mercy and he humbled himself. He knew that he did not deserve God's favor. He knew that his confidence was not in himself. David came to the point where he realized that I'm confident knowing that God cared and that God was in control. David at once was fearful, but he came to the place in his life. Look down in verse number nine. David said, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. David found peace. Listen to this. David found peace when he changed his perspective and remembered his purpose. I want to repeat that. David found peace... Listen, he had no peace. He was afraid. He was fearful. He was overwhelmed. He was, he was frightened. He was fearful. But David found peace. David came to a position in his life. Listen to me. Nothing had changed. Come on. Nothing had changed about his state and where he was and all the things that were happening. Saul was still against him. The Philistines were still against him. His own flesh was still against him. But David came to the place in his life where he came to understand and find peace when he changed his perspective and he remembered his purpose. You say, where do you get that? All right, look down in the last verse in our passage here. David says this in verse number 13, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Okay, look up here for just a second. How many times had God delivered his soul from death? From Goliath? from Saul some 20 times, from a lion, from, from a bear, from, from other situations, no doubt when he, was, when he was thirsty and afraid, God had delivered his soul from death numerous times. David came to remember that. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? 
In other words, David's saying, God, if, if, you, if, you, uh, if you delivered me here, and God, if you saved me here, and God, if you pulled me out of the snare here, and God, if you, if you uh, wrenched me from this situation, God, if you did all of those times and all of those things, will not you help me in this very situation right now to keep me from falling? Listen to me, David was more interested not in God's deliverance, but his dependence upon God. He could have, he, listen, he could have just said, God, God, pull me out of this again. But he said this, he said, God, I don't want to fall again. Are, are you following me? God, I, I don't want to mess up again. God, I don't want to make a wrong decision here again. God, it's not about my deliverance. It's not about what you can do to get me out of this situation. God, I'm not looking for you to bail me out here. God, I'm not looking for you to, to do something miraculous here so I can say, yes, God did this. No, no, no. David said this, God, can you not make it so that I will not fall and fail and bring grievance to the Holy Spirit here? He doesn't say it in those words, but David is coming to this conclusion. I know what I've done and I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of and I know my propensities and I know my struggles. And God, I, I'm asking you in humility and in, by your grace and by your mercy, God, would you help me? I don't want to fall. God, I don't want to mess up. God, I don't want to bring reproach upon your name. God, I don't, I don't want to do this. And then what does he say? I want to walk before God in the light of the living. In other words, really what David is simply saying is simply this. God, would you use these situations in my life to bring about your glory so that others could see you in a miraculous way? Let me just ask you this. Did God answer that prayer? Well, I think we're finding comfort in the Psalms tonight. I think we find comfort in the Psalms as we read them every Sunday and as we go through our Bible reading. Do we not find comfort? Do we not find God doing miraculous things in the life of David? Do we not see God taking a shepherd boy and making him king? Listen, do we not see God taking a man even that fell beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding? Do we not see God taking him and saying to him, David, I'm still in love with working in your life. God is still saying this, David, no matter what you do and no matter how far you go and no matter what links that you may go to to sin against me, I am still for you. I'm at work in your life. And tonight, maybe you're wondering... Is God for me? He was for David. Is he for me? Are you his child? Does he love you? Can you make him love you anymore? Then God is for you. And you know what it may take? It may simply take this for us to come to this conclusion. God, I'm not at peace. And God, I, maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you put yourself in a situation where, where you are against God. I, I don't know. But maybe you're as innocent as can be and you're thinking, God, all of these things are coming against me. And God, I, I don't know if anybody's for me. God is for you. Maybe you just need to come to this conclusion and change your perspective. You say, well, how do I, how do I change my perspective? Well, how did David change his perspective? To what did David turn to? Well, he turned to God. Okay, let's go. Let's make it a little bit more specific. To what did David turn to? You know what David did? David said this. David went to the word of God and he said, in God, I will praise him. In his word, will I praise him? You know what David did? David's thinking was wrong about a lot of things. You know what he had to do? He had to go back and renew his mind. He had to go back and refresh his memory. He had to go back and remember, God has said this, God will never leave me and God will never forsake me. You say, wait a minute, that wasn't in the Old Testament. Listen, I'm talking about us today. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. There are times in our life when we may forget and we may need to be reminded, God will never leave you and never forsake you. Amen. And God loves you 
And listen to me, you may be saying here tonight, yeah, but what about my marriage? And what about this situation? And uh, my perspective about marriage, and there's no hope for me. Listen to me, you need to change your perspective. God has an answer for your marriage in his word. God has an answer for your finances in his word. God has an answer for your children in his word. God has an answer for the church in his word. And maybe we just need to go back to his word and say, wait a minute, my perspective is wrong. Maybe we're trying to, listen to me, maybe we're trying to launch from the back seat. We're not even the driver. We're trying to launch from the back seat. And we're not seeing things the way that God sees them. And maybe in love and in mercy and in grace, our great, merciful, mighty, mindful God would say this to us. The car's not moving. Yeah, but God, and God says, calm down. Everything's okay. You're not fixing to crash. You're not fixing to be destroyed. I'm right here with you. Just calm down. And maybe we just need to change our perspective. And that's done by going to his word. And then do this. Change your perspective and then remember your purpose. Well, what's my purpose? Walk before God. Come on. Walk before God. In other words, walk righteously before God. In other words, understand this. God's watching everything that I do, everything that I say, every place that I go, everything that I think. Walk before God righteously. And then this, in the light of the living. In other words, make every moment count this way. God, you see and you know and you remember and you do care. And God, I want my life to count for your glory and for your purpose. I sat with a man this week. And weeping in tears, he said to me, Brother David, I just want my life to bring glory and praise to God. You say, okay. But if you knew everything that this man had on his plate, every circumstance that he was dealing with, you would say, how in the world could a man possibly, how could a man possibly say something like that? And I sat there and wept with him. And I said, brother, God can't help but to honor and answer a prayer like that. I said, and I took him to this passage and I said, David was a man after God's own heart. And God took David and rescued him and worked in his life and made him a blessing even to us today. And I think sometimes all of us need to just say this. I don't have peace right now. Okay. You don't have peace. Maybe you need to change your perspective. And then realize, what is my purpose? My purpose is not that God would deliver me from all the problems and difficulties of life. That, that's not God's purpose. God didn't put us on this earth so He could just deliver us from everything that's uncomfortable. In fact, I think that God is more intentional about putting us and allowing us to go through some circumstances of life and to realize simply this, it's not about us. It's about the God we serve. It's about the power that He manifested and the love that He has for us and the care that He has for us. And so maybe, just maybe, we ought to just stay in the back seat and be mindful of this. God's in control. The vehicle of life that we're going in right now, He's in control. And He cares. And He loves you. God is for you. He can't love you anymore. And He won't love you any less. God is for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
This quote is not original with me, but the statement is this, that God puts an expiration date on all of our trials. God puts an expiration date on all of our trials. But I want to add something to that. God puts an expiration date on all of our trials, but there's no expiration date on his love, on his care, and on his mercy, and on his love that's directed to you, and on his work on your behalf. Father, tonight as we come before you, God, if we were to enumerate all of the trials and tribulations that are in every heart tonight and we were to put them up on a screen, God, it would overwhelm us. We couldn't even recount all of the things that God's people are going through tonight. And the temptation of the devil is to, for us to imagine that God doesn't care and that God is not in control. Our own flesh can can verbalize that. Our own flesh can point the finger at God and accuse God of wrongdoing. But God, we must remember that everything that we go through has an expiration date. We'll either be healed here or we'll be healed in heaven, as one man has said. And Father, I I don't know where some may be tonight. There may be some right here in the room that may be on the precipice of running from God. Maybe there's a believer right here tonight that's on the run. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that is is, uh, thinking of taking their own life. Despondent, disillusioned, filled with despair. Oh God, would you help them and remind them tonight that it's simply about perspective? God, we're not thinking right. We put ourselves in a position that, that could be very harmful. And God, you love us and you care for us. And God, we just need to go to your word and be reminded there is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and he will provide a means of escape. So God, whatever it is that God's people may be dealing with tonight, maybe some just need to come tonight and just to come before an altar and thank God for his protection and thank God for his love and thank God for his mercy and just to pour their heart out to God and say, God, I am so unworthy, but God, I thank you so much for all that you've done and give praise and glory and honor to you. So God, however you may deal and whatever need may, be, may need to be dealt with tonight, oh, oh God, I pray that you would work on, on our behalf tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.